Welcome to Term Talk, an FJC video podcast. This podcast is one of several short videos acquainting federal judges with the term Supreme Court holdings. With me for the first time is Michael W. McConnell, Richard and Francis Valerie Professor, Stanford Law School, and the director of the Stanford Constitutional Law Center. He also served on the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals from 2002 through 2009. Welcome, Michael, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much. Also with me is Erwin Chimarinsky, Jesse H. Choper, Distinguished Professor of Law and Dean of Berkeley Law. Thank you, Erwin, for being a very longtime supporter of the Federal Judicial Center. Thank you. Truly my great pleasure. So, Michael, let's start with Espinoza versus Montana. Um, as you know, this case addresses how the establishment and free exercise of religion clauses affect who can receive public benefits. Can you tell us what's happening here? Uh, happy to. This case is important because it really represents a remarkable change in the Supreme Court's jurisprudence over the last almost 50 years. Uh, the case itself involves a tax credit program where people uh, get a, a tax credit for contributions to a, a scholarship organization. And that organization, in turn, uh, provides uh, scholarships to low-income students to attend non-public schools. But Montana has, since the late 19th century, had a provision in its state constitution, sometimes called a Little Blaine Amendment, which prohibits any public support for a sectarian, uh, meaning a religious school. The Montana Supreme Court held that, uh, yes, the Department of Revenue was correct that they couldn't provide the aid to the religious schools, but went on to say that for reasons really of state law, state severability law, uh, that they that meant that the statute in its entirety had to be uh, invalidated. And well, this then went up to the U.S. Supreme Court on the claim that the uh, that the discrimination against religious schools violates not the Establishment Clause, but the Free Exercise Clause. What the Supreme Court said is that the government must provide aid to religious institutions that it gives to secular institutions unless the government can meet strict scrutiny. For the last 50 years or so, litigation has been about when is it permissible for the government to give aid to religious schools? Now the question is, when is the government required to give aid to religious schools? It's very different. So, Erwin, would you like to say a little bit more about the Montana Supreme Court ruling? The key, as Michael said, is a provision of the Montana Constitution, like that in most states, that prohibits direct or indirect government aid to religion. And the Montana Supreme Court saw this as a program that would have the primary effect of benefiting religious schools and also had a purpose of benefiting religious schools. And thus, it found it violated the Montana state constitution. So what about more about the U.S. Supreme Court? I very much agree with Michael's characterization here. The Supreme Court said the government cannot deny benefits to religious schools that it's giving to secular private schools unless the government can meet strict scrutiny, which would basically require showing that it would violate the establishment clause for the government to give the aid. And here the court saw no violation of the Establishment Clause. I think it's important to put this case together with one from three years earlier, Trinity Lutheran versus Comer. There the Supreme Court said 
It violated free exercise to deny religious schools aid for the surface of playgrounds that secular private schools could receive. But in footnote three of that opinion, Chief Justice Roberts said, it was just a case about aid to playgrounds. We now see it's not just about aid to playgrounds. When it chooses to subsidize non-public education, private schools, that it can't discriminate against uh, uh, the uh, schools just because they're religious. Unless, of course, there's a compelling uh, interest, which doesn't uh, uh, seem uh, likely in this context. So th the court made a distinction between discriminated based on religious activity, for example, using public benefits to prepare for the ministry, and discriminating solely on the basis of the school's status as a religious school. And how did it come into the court's decision? I don't really think the Supreme Court is going to breathe new life into these old distinctions that didn't work very well even back then. Um, after going after the majority uh, went through this analysis saying that actually Montana did exclude the schools just because of their religious status. But then at the end of that discussion, the court said, none of this is meant to suggest that some lesser degree of scrutiny applies to discrimination against religious uses of government aid. So that suggests to me that they really are not serious about reviving this old distinction. But there was a decision by the uh, First Circuit just this past week uh, that does rely upon uh, that distinction. And so uh, it, it certainly uh, it could be with us. Erwin, anything to add? I think the crucial question now is going to be, when is giving government aid to religious schools a violation of the Establishment Clause? We know that the government is constitutionally required to give that aid if it's giving it to secular private schools, unless it violates the Establishment Clause. But I think this is going to put all of the focus on, well, what aid under what circumstances is a violation of the Establishment Clause? I agree with Michael. I don't see the court going back to the distinctions that it has since rejected, but I think it's going to have to come up with a new body of law with regard to this. My own sense is that for the conservative just on the court, relatively little will violate the Establishment Clause in terms of government aid to religious schools. I think that's true so long as we're talking about neutral aid. That is, if if aid is actually uh, directed to religious schools on a preferential basis, I think that's still going to violate the Establishment Clause. I want to talk about what it means, though, for the judges. And I want to go back to something Michael said at the very beginning in terms of the sea shift we've seen. For much of the last half century, there was a fairly robust establishment clause and a weak free exercise clause. I think now what we're seeing is a very robust free exercise clause and a very weak establishment clause. Well, I, I agree with what Erwin uh, just said, uh, except to say that we have a very robust free exercise clause today is at least arguably not true. There's a case in, in the term this coming uh, a year. In fact, it's being argued uh, uh, day after tomorrow, or uh, or tomorrow rather. It's being uh, Fulton versus City of Philadelphia, uh, which is and which we'll find out whether Irwin is right, uh, whether we do have a strong free exercise clause uh, uh, along with. I wouldn't call it weak. It's just that the free ex that the establishment clause is about uh, preference and coercion. It's not meant to be uh, just a, a, a kind of anti-religious clause.
someday you and I will debate this, and I look forward to that. But I think that the, this case in Trinity Lutheran really show that this is a court that is very much in favor of a robust free exercise clause. Well, thank you both very much. I'm looking forward to when we talk about these issues some more. Thank you. Thank you.